All right, Michael, finally, good to um, finally chat to you on the podcast. I think I've been scouting you now for what must be five, six months. I've been saying I was going to try to get you to come and talk to us. Yeah, yeah, it's been a little while, but um, no, you've you've done it the right way. Um, I think we've we've actually formed a good friendship out of it. So yeah, um, you know, we chat every so often. It's good. It's good. It's um, it's super helpful. And uh, but I'm I'm excited to be here. I've been looking forward to it. Me too. Yeah, and and the context of course is is elite sales performers Australia. It's about showcasing the best performers here in Australia. Most of the you know, most of perhaps the the highlights and the content we see comes out of the US and it's quite US centric. So, you know, the opportunity here and is to talk to local top performers and share the insights from those people with the broader audience. So um you're certainly somebody we've wanted to talk to for some time. You know, real top one percent performer, HubSpot eight years, if we just go through your um, performance there. I mean, President's Club 2019, 2021, um, over, overachievement almost every year. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, most deals closed, accolades, um, big deal accolades. So maybe we could start with you talking us through what you're most proud of so far at HubSpot. That's a good question. Um, most honestly, most proud that I've done eight years in tech sales at the same company, if I'm being completely frank. Um, I, uh, someone actually said it to me, um, who, you know, a partner of HubSpot and, and somewhat of a mentor, if I'm being frank, and he kind of said, like, he goes, As someone who's made a career in tech, because, you know, he's kind of director level um, experience, he was like, to have eight years in tech sales um, at the same company is an achievement in and of itself. And it kind of made me reflect that, you know, I really post uni, like not including kind of casual work during uni, but post uni in terms of my professional career, I haven't known anything else. I haven't known not having a quota. So I think um, big picture, just so <laughs> surviving, quote unquote surviving um, and, and doing eight years uh, in tech sales, specifically through the highs and lows that we've seen over the past eight years. And, um, you know, just, operating with a quota um if i was to get a bit more a bit more granular um i mean the accolades are nice the performance is nice but you know what means the most at this point in my career it's just running a really good process and having that um reflected where you know your poc or your champion or, or someone on that buying committee actually feels a need to go um speak to one of your leaders and say like hey we had a terrific experience with michael whatever it might be um you know because it is this job does have um some assumptions made about it um you know that of yesteryear like the 90s car, car salesman um so you know i do take pride in my work so when that gets recognized and i run a really good process and um you know more of a consultant not like a salesperson that really means a lot um because the rest is just it's always there you can always go do 125 percent a quarter or, or close the most deals for a quarter and stuff like that but you know that's on you that's within your control to a degree but for someone to take the time you know everyone will complain if something's bad right most of google reviews because something's bad um but yeah if they want to go out of their way after it's all said and done to actually you know shed some light and positive feedback on the person they engage with that's probably my proudest one um but yeah again I'm, I'm veering from the question if we call it like the actual okay what are you most proud of that was hard and and difficult and kind of yielded the best results um probably getting up to the enterprise team fairly quickly um at hubspot that was always a goal for me um and you know i started as a bdr 
or SDR, whatever you want to call it. So I went SDR, small biz. I did an experimental role that got folded, um, went back into the more direct funnel, went through mid-market um, and then enterprise all before I was 30. Um, so that was kind of like my thing. I was like, I want to be in enterprise sales before I'm 30. Um, so that's probably the, the bigger picture one. Interesting. And what's been the biggest change going into enterprise versus SMB mid-market? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, SMB mid-market are very similar as far as what I do. Um, we kind of digital transformation. I say that in quotation marks because um, I just think it's being thrown around. It's lost all its meaning, right? Um, but for CRM, MarTech, that kind of side, um, I find SMB mid-market fairly similar. You can probably divvy up mid-market to like emerging SB and kind of like pre-corp um, and not really um, organizations who are mid-market but don't really have to deal with the red tape and the bureaucracy and the governance of, of larger organizations. Um, really, it's the buying cycle. It's the way things are done um, in kind of smaller business and mid-market. And this is going to be different across different organizations some you know most do it by employee size some do it by revenue things like that for us it's employee size but it's kind of like if you run a really good process and you tick the boxes um you can kind of get to an answer um fairly quickly or you know you kind of know where you stand whereas in enterprise you really don't know where you stand um if you've been qualified in you only really know uh if you get qualified out early or if you win the deal right other than that it's like hey we're doing our due diligence, so you need to come along for this ride if you want a chance at this. Um, and the other thing as well is just even when you think you have it, there's chances that you might not get it, right? Because uh, relationships are so critical and they move the needle the most, um, as is a uh, risk-averse approach. I find in SB mid-market um, far easier to take risks, uh, open to it as well, um, which makes sense because the – the ongoing knock-on effects of a poor decision might impact 30 people or 40 people, whereas up in enterprise could impact 300 or 3,000. Um, so it's far more risk-averse. And uh, I guess that kind of creates a, you know, you kind of lean towards the status quo in a lot of, uh, in a lot of respects when you're dealing with the enterprise or, or, you know, your prospects, your customers kind of lean towards the status quo, which can make things a bit difficult if you're a challenger. Um, so that's probably the biggest difference, the, the risk-averse approach and just um, you don't really know where you stand until you're qualified in or you win, really. And why was enterprise, why was that the the yard, um, the yard markers to what success looks like for you before you're 30? What, what, what would that mean in terms of your trajectory? Um, I kind of said to myself that I don't want to be – and there's nothing wrong with this, but I said to myself, I don't want to be middle of the pack in this role because it's not worth it. Like to me, it's just not worth it. Um, I think it's a role that you have to go all in or you just need to say like, hey, it's not for me or I'm choosing not to do this um, and I'm going to go do something else and I'm going to get more of my life back and get that that quality of balance. Whereas if you're trailing it like, you know, if you're constantly trying really hard just to stay off, say, a performance plan, I would be rethinking my options. Um but if you're comfortably getting to 100% and you just need to kind of find sixth gear to push you into, like, say, a president's club level or the equivalent for you, like, that's a perfect place to be. Because then once you break there, you're not going to want to drop below that, right? And that's when you really start to get the most out of a commission-based role. But I feel like anything under that, you're still dealing with the same stresses of quotas, you know, performance-driven role, having to compete 
professionally, you know, with other vendors. Um, it's a lot to kind of take on board, not to reap the commission side of the role. Um, so for me, it was like, I, I want to be really good at this if I'm going to stick it out because there's a whole bunch of other ways I prefer to spend my time um, outside of work instead of thinking about work or trying to get better at work or, you know, paying for coaching or listening to podcasts specific to my role. Um, the other thing as well was kind of when I looked at it, I was like, right, you know, salary wise, when does it really start to become lucrative? Um, and it was uh, enterprise, like you want to get it into corporate or enterprise. Now, that's not so much context is um, required to have that discussion. And we might get into that later because, you know, product market fit and overperformance needs to come into that. But in terms of package like that, you know, any org, if they've got teams in that enterprise space, that's where you're going to get the biggest package. Um, and I just said, like, you know, how else can I go generate this type of income outside of running my own business? It's like, okay, well, I probably need to become a doctor or become a lawyer. And if that was the case, I'd probably still be at uni. Um, and I didn't want to do that. And let's be honest, like I'm probably not cut out for that. Like I can't see myself being a doctor, um, but I have friends in those spaces and they're still studying and doing exams or, you know, so I said, all right, let's double down. Like not only do I want enterprise, like I want it sooner than the quote unquote typical um, enterprise rep, right? Um, so I was like, why not? Like, let's, let's just push up the ranks as quickly as possible. Um, and, you know, Luckily enough, I joined an organization who uh, created the opportunity for me to go and do that. Um, so, you know, there is, I guess, a bit of luck involved, but, you know, you make your own luck to a degree. So that was pretty much it. It was probably just like a personal endeavor just to maximize my income as much as I can and, and solidify that I'm capable of doing this as a career and not just a stint, uh, but also just a bit of competition with myself and say, so, oh, well, like, what's a nice number where in terms of age where I can say, or oh, I've got enough time to actually make this realistic, um, but it's still high enough where, you know, it creates some positive pressure for myself. So it's kind of like that 30, 30 mark. Right. Tech sales is still figuring it out for like four years, if I'm being honest. <laughs> and that's why it's interesting. It sounds like you mentioned eight years and that grind as such to get there. The enterprise trajectory equates, it sounds like, with number one, mastery. So you try to improve your craft and an enterprise get into enterprise is the upper echelon of that. You're moving in that direction. The second part of it is economic success. Um, as a result of that, it sounds like they're the two, they're the two things. Um, you, you, you nodded to it already, but it's a really important point because I think what we are finding now is that I speak to a lot of enterprise reps who are dropping back to mid market because they actually mm. feel they can earn more, particularly in this climate, but. <clears throat> Um, it doesn't always work out that, you know, a lot of people aren't, aren't hitting OT and are dropping down and thinking actually in mid market, I think I can earn more and bigger at risk. What are your thoughts on the macro environment and, and, in, and in which situations in which that is a better move? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's something that's coming up a lot right now. Um, you know, I think you should prioritize product market fit regardless of the economy when you're looking at roles. Um, because again, you know, you get that um, rep view, you know, is just hammering this right now where they put up two options and one's got a big OTE and then one's got a smaller OTE, but better patch or better, better product market fit. And it's like two years later, it's like option B has made more money. Um, so I think you product market fit, number one, because if you join an organization that plays in that enterprise space, you're probably going to get better results there. Um, I was actually talking to 
um, a colleague slash mentor who was part of uh, building out the mid-market business at SAP, which he commented on how difficult that it's so much harder for them to go downstream and say for other orgs to go upstream. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you think mid-market, quicker sales cycle, so on and so forth. But for like an organization like SAP, you're probably better off being an enterprise because you have all that brand equity, right? And you can just ride that train. Um, so yeah, I'd prioritize that. I think in this market, you know, I'm going to say it again, product market fit, number one, and number two, territory. Um, because if you can stomach, not stomach, if you can live off your base, pay the mortgages, put food on the table, you know, car repayments, kids, school, whatever you have going on, like if you can cover that with your base, I would go seek out the opportunity where that product market fit is right now. In your example, a lot of kind of corporate enterprise reps are dropping back down. Um, if we think about the macroeconomic factors, you know, who's getting hit hardest the most? Yes, it's smaller businesses, but in terms of risk adversity, it's the corpse. They're the ones that are kind of putting the brakes on big time. Um, whereas, well, you know, as an example to that, maybe last year there'd be budget and uh, we'll just use my, my bracket example, maybe like the automation team for marketing is competing with like the social media team or the people who control the ads and there's one budget and they're all kind of fighting for that budget. Whereas now you might be competing with IT or sales operations and IT might want to go get Jira or something like that. And then, you know, sales and marketing are competing for that same budget for a new CRM. And that is just escalated at the corporate level, right? Um, because they are so risk averse, um, you're going to get sucked into long buying cycles. Um, they might actually go to tender now, whereas before they, they weren't because they just need to scrutinize this, this decision to the degree that if, if for whatever reason it goes wrong, they can fall back and say, Hey, we did tender. We did due diligence. Like it's not on us why it didn't work out. We did everything we were supposed to. Um, and do you have that time and patience to go through that to potentially win a deal? Because in mid market, you probably get qualified in or out. And if you get qualified out, you can just go spend your time with other organizations, right? And give them a really good experience. So yeah, it, it, if it makes sense, it's definitely something um, I would recommend. And we also have to remember during COVID, some ridiculous baselines being set. I mean, you know better than most, right? Being on the recruiting side. So I think there's a big correction happening as well with that. Um, we probably won't see some of those packages for a long time um, that were happening during that market. So it's probably kind of, as much as it sucks, we're probably coming back to the norm where it should have been. Um, but yeah, definitely huge uh, influence of the macroeconomic factors right now. I would advise going if you got if your organization has a role and a better product market fit, I would seek it out. You just need to be able to back yourself to go play more of a volume game um, and lean more into your uh, commission potential if you're going to take a hit on your base, really. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Those um, those compensation packages have have certainly normalized. So, uh, kind of in line with the macro environment, you know, certain businesses have have um, fallen by the wayside and things have started to look towards profitability. So they have normalized and we're not seeing the same upper brackets, particularly on OTE and equity. Base, mm-hmm. base salaries are, you know, about the same, I would say. We haven't seen a, a miss on them. So salespeople are still in demand <clears throat> very much. So it's it's more the, the, the bigger at-risk plays. There's not so much of them, so it's certainly normalized a little bit. Um, we're obviously seeing cost cutting as a means of um, chasing profitability. 
in every sector, but in software, that means I speak to a lot of reps. They're talking about um, having to do more with less. Right? Mm. What's your take on um, how well businesses are setting up reps for success in this climate and conversations you have with peers in the industry, that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I've seen this kind of firsthand. I think something I can't even speak to because I didn't go through it is onboarding during this remote world. Mm-hmm. Um, I really don't have a comment on it. I've just heard some stories where it is, there's a lot of friction in trying to onboard um, in this remote world. And again, I don't have the solution. When I onboarded, you know, I was flown over to Boston for like an intensive kind of four week um, kind of school, if you would. Um, but I mean, that's that's what they did back then. That was the golden era of like, you know, VC-backed unicorns. Um, that's that's the standard, right? So we can't really compare. But I think that's number one. Um, I think we're coming, again, we're doing that huge 180, whereas during COVID, we were just buying software. We, as in software companies, buying software left, right, and center. Um, it created a lot of shadow tech as well. Like, I, I mean, I'm guilty of that. Like, I use Grammarly. I haven't asked anyone. It just made a ton of sense for me because I do so many emails. And you know, I'm not going to go try and expense that. Um, but maybe I'm not allowed to use it. I don't actually know. So if you do that at scale over like 200 reps, who knows what's being used? Because um, you know it's fairly insignificant, right? I, I can justify using my own money for that. Um, but stuff like that's really helpful. But if you if you say joined an organization during COVID, and you had you know, outreach and you had Grammarly and you had Luxor and you had Cogniz, like you had all these things. Um, and maybe that was your first for, we'll just use an extreme example. Maybe that was your first foray in the sales. Like you hadn't come from a world of spreadsheets, LinkedIn, um, and kind of doing graphing that way. And then all of a sudden this huge 180, we need to start saving money. So we're pretty much just going to Cut back number one. Number two is consolidate because a lot of the CRMs these days do a fair bit of everything. Like that's the whole end to end play that they're going for. Um, it's just that point solutions will always do that quote unquote point um, feature much better. Um, back then we could justify buying a separate kind of email sequence tool, whereas your CRM might already do it. So it might just be a step down in some degrees, but in a lot of other instances, you're losing a whole bunch. Um, so what I'd say to that is, Definitely take stock of the world around you and acknowledge how much of it is baseline and how much of it is surplus, like icing on the cake. Um, and if you're not sure, just ask some tenured people. Just go, what did you have before COVID? What did you have three years ago? Because um, I, you know, something as simple as email templates, they haven't always been around. I remember manually having Google Docs of all my email templates and then copy and pasting them back into Gmail, right? Um and now it's just like the norm to have email templates. So yeah, I think this environment is not just like the macroeconomics, it's also the remote world is incredibly difficult. Uh, but if you're walking into an org that has a bunch of software at your disposal, A, make the most of it because it could, you don't know if that renewal is coming up and they've decided to not renew. Um, but B, just get really good with less. Don't rely on those extra tools. Like you can rely on your CRM. I think that's a fair enough expectation that any org you work with will have a half decent CRM. Like it is like a, you know, a vital organ for a business. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, some of these kind of prospecting tools or data insight tools, um, they're probably the nice to have. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't build a career or sorry, build success off the back of those tools. Um, I would just use them for that kind of 10 to 20% and just double down on the basic fundamentals. Cause that's really what it is. It's, this job is 90% building the right habits and then the rest comes around.
how how have your your um how's your ability been shaped over the eight years by your own habits and behaviors? How how's that more to the to the rep you are now? I mean you've been successful throughout what well, I'm sure you'd say you're a different rep now to you were four or five years ago. What's been mm-hmm. is what's been the biggest change or um enlightenment would you say that you could share with other reps on the other? Yeah. Uh look, it's never as good as you think it is, and it's never as bad as you think it is. Um, the best piece of advice, and I, I, I still do, right? I take this job really personal, but I used to take it far more personal. The best advice I can give that I got was try your best and practice being even killed. Um, because the high highs are tremendous, but they are not worth the low lows. So you'd much rather just operate in the middle. If you have a really awesome kind of deal come through or you get promoted or something tremendous happens, Absolutely. Give yourself 24 hours, be beaming, go out, take your partner out to dinner, do whatever you do, but then back to it, right? Back to your baseline. If you have something go wrong, you get knocked back, you lose a huge deal, you go on performance plan, again, maybe take 48 hours, have a sook, do what you need to do, um, but then back to it, right? It's it's just, if you want to last in this career, especially in something as fast paced as tech, you're not going to, you're just going to be exhausted from all the emotions. So that'd be number one. Just back then I used to take, I just didn't know, but I take everything so personally. Um, and cause I just wanted to, I didn't understand. I was young. Like I didn't quite understand business. I didn't like this deal in front of me was the be or end all because I didn't have eight years of experience to be like, Oh, you know, it'll cut like they're going to renew in two years. We'll just go chat to them again. Maybe we'll get them then, but I'm going to go get each one of their competitors. I didn't have that experience or foresight. Um, so yeah, number one, like, am I in this for the long term? If so, you're going to have a lot more bad beats. So just try and get out of your, get out of your head when things go bad, but don't fly too close to the sun, so to speak, when things get really good, because it can turn on a dime, right? It really can. Um, so that'd be number one. Number two would just be, um, just, how can I explain this? Operate your book or your yourself as if you're a business within a business right you reflect your brand you work for this large organization you wear their logo they wear yours but the way you do business the way if you say you're going to do something you do that if you say i'll get back to you today you get back to them today like those are the little things that build up over time and that people really appreciate because i guarantee you in competitive scenarios if they can't split the difference both platforms um do the thing the pricing within their vicinity so it's in budget they're going to say who do we have a better experience with and who can we see ourselves working with long time or long term and you know where's the culture fit and if you're the person that's saying the follow-up and then doing the follow-up within that time frame and all those little things uh, i guarantee you they're going to lean towards you and your vendor so um i used to get frustrated when people in my organization didn't do things the way i did things and you know maybe i was just being selfish or obnoxious and thought my way was better. Um, but then I kind of reshaped my thinking and said, okay, what if I was running my own business within, you know, the larger organization? And then it doesn't matter anymore. And I do, this is how I do things. This is how I've found success. These are my blueprints. These are my non-negotiables. Um, and just tell yourself that. And if you set them in line with the organization, you never have anything to worry. Where if yours are set, you know, maybe at a level below, then you might have some improvements in the um so yeah those would be the two biggest things just don't take it seriously without getting swept up in the emotion of things because i think you in this role you need to be serious about it it's not one of those passive things 
Um, and number two is just operate your accounts, your book of business, your emails, all of that. That is your personal brand. Like that's your personal little business within the larger organization. And, and don't falter on those standards. That's great. And I want, I want to break that into two parts. So the first one, really consistent message here that you're portraying it. And it's, so this is this even keel. So you're not, you're not really too up when a big deal comes in. Um, you, you're, you're basically doing the same activities each month and it's really consistent with other elite performers I've had on here. <clears throat> so, um, Travis was on last week and he was talking about playing long-term games with, um, long-term people. <clears throat> James from Slack the week before was talking about growth mindset and just doing the work, um, week in, week out. And it seems <clears throat> similar here, right? You're not really chasing monthly results. You're just doing the work in chase of something that's way, way far ahead. What's, what's the motivation for you, be it intrinsic, just your personality? What, what is that that makes you do the work regardless of the outcome? Because that, that is, is that a learned skill or is that? Yeah. Yeah. I think, oh, if we go even way back to, to high school, um, I was kind of middle of the pack. Like I wasn't in the super smart classes, but I wasn't in the kind of, um, need extra help type classes. Um, and then we got to kind of our HSC and yeah, I remember my year coordinator was just like the opportunities in front of you. Um, you just got to do the work. He goes, that's it. Like, it's not that hard. Um, and it was like the work. And then he kind of started getting into my head with the psychology of things and like thinking outside the box. And what I mean by that is this will never forget me is he said, don't make markers look for your answers. Because these markers are taking on these, the markers are teachers. They're taking on extra work to go mark these papers because they need the money, probably not by choice. They're sitting in some warehouse going paper after paper. He goes, don't make them look for, um, don't make them work hard to give you marks. And that's just always stuck for me. Um, so, you know, did that, doubled down, got my, you know, did my HSA, got into uni, got into the degree. It was more or less the same. But I think personally, where, it really kicked in and it, absolutely it's a learned skill um i think some people are generally just good at doing if you put something in front of them they would just get it done um for me i used to like char- I'd constantly challenge things and i still do i'm like is there a better way to do this um you know can i do this quicker can i do this faster my partner actually hates me for this i hate cleaning i just hate it and I, i'm really terrible at it so i'd much rather outsource it if i can because i think like how much is my term worth my time worth in an hour and can i go do something else um, but yeah, for me, it was bodybuilding, um, hobbyist bodybuilder. And that is just the most mon to get it right. Um, with average genetics, right. It's just the most mundane thing. You just got to eat the food, make it super bland. So you take any food attachment away from it, do your training. If you're trying to get bigger, you know, you push the food down, increase the, the training. If you're trying to get leaner, the food comes back down, your cardiovascular work goes up, so on and so forth. But really it's just daily habits, hit your steps, you do your training. You hit your cardio if need be, and you hit your calories, whatever that might be. And then you can get into the minutiae of your micronutrients and, you know, your, you know, your intra-workout supplementation, things like that. But at the end of the day, it's just big picture of calories. So for me, it just made sense. I was just like, well, you know, this is how I've gotten results in bodybuilding. And I just do the bare bone basics, which is 80% of it. Um, and of course, you know, growing muscle doesn't happen overnight. So it's this whole concept of delayed gratification. And I think you need that in sales. Um, honestly, the worst thing that can happen, I think, in sales is that you walk into a role three months in and you get a bluebird massive deal because you take over someone else's book. Cause then you think, oh, 
this is the baseline. It's like, no, you were going to come cracking down so hard um, if you last another six months, right? Um, so yeah, it's definitely a learned skill. Um, I wanted these results in bodybuilding. I wanted to go and compete. I wanted to improve my physique and uh, the way to do that, you know, what, what I'm living in now is all the work from six months ago, right? And that's the exact same in sales. So you just, you do the basics and you, you get it to a degree where you don't think like I come seven or eight o'clock, I'll check my watch and see if I've done all my steps and I'm not competing anytime soon. I'm not even thinking about it. It just makes me uncomfortable if I haven't done my steps. Um, which you could argue is that healthy or not, who knows, but I'll just go for a walk around the block and then I'm, <laughs> I feel relief. And it's kind of like, have I done all my follow-ups? Did I touch all those accounts that I needed to? Did I get back to those QLs? Um, cause the difference maker could be doing it now versus leaving it until tomorrow. Right? You don't know it's out of your control. Um, there's some relief in that control and the controllables, right? And the repeatability mm-hmm. of what you're doing. Um, <clears throat> Mark Baskin also, and Hobbs was talking about delayed gratification when he was on here as well. So, um, that, that rings true. Um, I've found as well, even myself, I, I don't think about, um, placements anymore. Um, I don't really think about conversions of deals, placements at all when it's getting to the finals anymore. When I started in, in recruitment, I did, I was, I was pushing things. So what will land now? <clears throat> I really just focus on doing the, making sure that you know, I've done enough to give myself a shot on every single hire, basically. And I don't really worry about the end result, which is quite a great place to be in if you, if you handle it the way you're doing. Where you, so what can I control? What's the maximum outplayer I can get? And if you keep doing that monthly and you repeat it and it's scalable, you don't need to necessarily worry about trying to squeeze something out and trying to, you know, reverse engineer something so you haven't done the work. And I, th- I think there is a lot of relief in that. It, it, I found it's come to me over time and because I've got the luxury of working for myself, you know, I'm not KPI managed as such. So, but I've actually found that's probably improved my game as well. Um, the way I work that way. Um, and it seems like that's absolutely the same in sales. If you're controlling those metrics, your performance and the way you probably manage customers, I'd, I'd imagine would be better as opposed to you know, at the end, trying to squeeze deals in and push buyers into buying cycles that aren't quite there. If you're doing enough work, it should, it should come right. Oh, hundred percent. Like one of the best feelings you say from a quote unquote sure thing, which by the way, there's nothing, there's no sure things in what we do. Um, say a sure thing falls out, but you've already got the other pipe to backfill it or, you know, and you can just, your response to that email is not, Oh, I'm surprised to hear this. Like, can we jump on a call and see if there's other options? Your response is just like, Hey, no worries. Thanks for letting me know. Like, let me know if I can help. Let's catch up next month when it makes more sense. Um, honestly, it's such a power move. Imagine receiving that as a buyer. Like, you'd be surprised as a buyer to receive that, right? Um, I think that's just one of the like the best feelings that you can have. But um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, I think if you hit your daily non-negotiables, uh, I think you also need to be self-aware enough to know if you're struggling to hit the baseline. Like, if you have to make time to what I mean, like if you have to go make time to do your prospecting and some days you miss it, like address that. Like, do you just not like doing it or are you poor with time management? Because something like prospecting for this role, that needs to be, yeah, just every morning, 8 a.m., 9 a.m., whatever it is, like that's my prospecting time. I don't even, like no one else can book over that. I don't even think to move it around. Whereas if it's like a flexible thing, like there's an issue there. Um, but just get to that point because if it doesn't happen right now, you know, you look at your month, you look at your quarter, you look at your year. That's really, and then that's what, that's what leaders care about. And that's what success really is, right? Like longevity is performance year on year. 
right? Which comes from quarter on quarter, but it's always going to go up and down. That's just the nature of the role. It's never going to be consistent because you can't control buyers. Um, so just get the basics down, what you can control. Um, go to bed at night knowing that you did everything you were supposed to do. And if you could do a bit more, great. And here's the flip side of that. If you couldn't do more or if you had a lazy day, that's also fine because for the past six months, you've been doing your non-negotiables and it averages over time. So, you know, one day, we we'll use the food example, one day eating over or under is not going to make a difference if you've been dieting for six months. It's really not. Um, but if you're constantly up and down, chopping and changing, having blowouts on the weekend and like trying to make it up on Monday, you're just spinning your wheels. It's the exact same as what we do. Yeah, great. <clears throat> so the second part of um, what you're talking about, Danny, was the almost managing your own personal brand, um, the value that comes from your own personal brand within an organization. I think that's a really unique one. Eight years with um, such a brilliant business like HubSpot, I'm sure you've had your own fair share of, um, what we might say, internal, I suppose, what reps might deal with on, you know, which are kind of awkward conversations or difficulties, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Um, how... How would uh, more junior reps? It comes with it comes with uh, performance, success, and it comes with time. How would a more junior rep start to think in this way to be able to manage those internal not conflicts, right? But how do they manage um, the relationship with their employer so that they're of course mm-hmm. providing value to their employer, which is important. But how do they ensure that they're getting the best deal as well? Is that something you? Yeah, yeah. I think. I wish I received this advice, you know, six years ago, right? So I'm glad you asked. I think if you're just getting into tech sales or sales in general, it's just the nature of the organization that you're in. Oh, sorry, the organization, the role that you're in, there's going to be conflict, right? So I think first things first, just accept that it's going to happen. Accept that it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't avoid it. And you, it might not even be your fault and you'll get swept up into it. Maybe it's like an ownership conflict or like you know you, you trod on someone's toes or whatever it might be just accept that it's going to happen um that's number one number two is don't say anything you'd regret like we do everyone gets frustrated um and you want to say things that are necessary or maybe you want to imply something like we live in a digital world it's going to be captured on slack going to be captured by e- email whatever it might be um if you feel the need to just get it out write it don't send it sit on it 48 hours and go back and read it and i promise you you'll feel like an idiot and you'll be grateful that you didn't send it um so don't say anything you regret but equally make sure everything is documented right if um you're making an agreement with a peer or whatever it might be and that's by text or you know like a handshake deal just put it in email put it in writing because there shouldn't be an issue right and if there is then you you know you will make information from the get-go and that's why it wasn't on slack or email um so yeah that's kind of the two sides of the same coin right don't put anything don't write anything um that you'd regret but equally make sure that everything is documented um and if you feel something kind of being a bit off or you're not too sure just make sure you start documenting kind of time stamping things just go okay well you know yesterday you mentioned this here's a screenshot today you're saying this here's a screenshot I'm not saying I'm not saying neither here nor there, but X, Y, and Z, right? Um, make sure that you communicate early and upfront, especially with your manager. Now, of course, if their issue is with your manager, then maybe you need to go above them. But hopefully, you have that relationship with your manager. I'm a big proponent 
when it comes to conflicts like this, that they get delegated up because it takes away from my time of doing my actual job when I actually have to go plead my case and have a conflict with, say, a colleague, maybe another rep. Um, and we've all been there. So my preference is you just kick it up to your manager or director. You go, here's all the info. Here's my interpretation of what happened. Let them go review it. And then you're still going to need to have a, a, a chat about it. Um, but at least I'm not stressing. I can just go do my job. Um, so th- th- they'd probably be like the three things I'd say. Um, don't do anything in haste or while you're emotional. Make sure that um, you don't have anything in writing that you would regret because you were frustrated. Um, equally, make sure that everything is documented if it's an agreement or something like that or you feel like something is going sus. And uh, number four is where you can outsource the resolution. Um, give your side of the story. Give all your documentation. Here's what's happened. Here's why it's impacted me. Here's what I'd like to see as a result. Can you please go and deal with this so I can focus on my role? And, you know, this kind of comes under your umbrella if you're in leadership. I know, that's great advice. And with time served, are you philosophical about why those things occur in that, you know, you mm-hmm. spend time, we're in a business where, you know, you've got to look out themselves, but the business also has to look out for themselves as well. Is it is it easy to be cynical as a sales rep, would you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to just take a step back and say, like, are we curing cancer? No. Like how? What is the root of this issue? It's probably money. Like, let's just get really candid, right? We're not, we're not doctors. We're not surgeons. We sell software. Um, is it going to really impact me or am I just frustrated because I feel like someone slighted me? Like that's the distinction you need to make, right? Because we're, we're fairly, we have a lot of pride as, you know, I think you need it to do this role. Um, so here's like one of those downsides. You kind of get a bit prickly. Maybe you're a bit sensitive and you take things a little personally. And if you can answer that question, like, am I just personally offended that this has not gone my way? Or I feel like someone slighted me or has it severely impacted my ability to go and perform and do my job? Like those are two very different things. Um, but ask me this question six years ago and I'll probably give you a different answer. But if you have enough of those knocks, you're like, it really makes no difference because what success is and what winning is, is just longevity, really. Um, because I've had instances before where in the moment I'm like, this would probably like motivate me to go move on, right? Everyone has had that. Mm. And then you kind of sit on it and you get a bit of traction in terms of a resolution and maybe you're impressed by the way it gets handled and actually makes you want to stay longer. But if you act in that moment and go make some hasty decisions, then who knows, would I still be in tech sales? Who knows what I'd be doing? But I can look back and say, well, I'm eight years at the same company in a time where most people... Uh, have changeover every two, give or take, yep. um, and a high churn industry because of the pressure. Um, I attribute a lot of that to just taking a deep breath and saying, okay, like realistically, like how is this going to impact me? Probably not a huge deal, but in the moment, it's definitely serious and needs to be treated so. Um, but take a deep breath, figure it out, and don't cut your nose, don't cut off your nose to spite your face. Like it's really not worth it in the long run. Yeah. <clears throat> Great advice, and you're showing an example of that. It certainly wouldn't have been um, smooth sailing every year for eight years, but somebody who's um, you know great and resilient. So the tasks are the are the marks of a top rep. You know, I, I don't think I've seen a rep that's been somewhere for eight years, to be honest. So you're certainly uh, flying the flag there with um, with that kind of tenure. <laughs> Congrats, first of all. Uh, you've obviously done some fantastic work there. Brilliant business to work for. Um, also. 
Um, but I think you've got a lot of um, advice here that's quite unique, being a place for eight years and being consistently successful. Um, a lot of people move around and do get the benefits of that move, right, from moving place to place. Um, you've used it in your favor to be elite top one percent by staying where you are so there are a couple of different ways you can go you've 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 uh, got tenure on your side and it's obviously worked out for you um what i was alluding to is the experience that you've had is quite unique do you do you mentor um or would you do you consider coaching managing is that is that part of your career step next would you go there? yeah um i really i'm passionate about mentoring um people who are just kind of starting out in tech or tech sales who are also kind of fresh out of uni or one or two years out of uni because that that was me to a t um i do a lot of mentoring and coaching with the um bdr team internally um because you know i was a bdr and i think they are so absolutely necessary and they are that's your crop of talent that you're nurturing to just slide into an ae role and they're going to come in and crush it um without you know give them the ramp but without training because they're just they pick up what their reps say, so on and so forth. Um, I think as kind of my next, my career aspirations, I definitely want to, I don't think anyone can ever really master a role, but I think I have some more time um, as an individual contributor. There's some more kind of achievements that I want to get to myself. Um, but I definitely want to move into a role um, where I can kind of share my experience and save people time i think this is the biggest thing it sounds like where can we save time and the easiest way to do that is not make the same mistakes so whether that's a, a mentoring or individual coaching role or kind of a manager role if i can help people uh on my team not make the same mistakes i did and just expedite that process um you know that's going to be terrific for them and I, I get you know really grateful that i can pass that on um and that my experiences where you know they might have really sucked in the moment but now they're going to go save three or four people from making the same mistake. Uh, that's really valuable to me. So yeah, I think right now I, I want to sell, like I enjoy selling and I enjoy um, the, the the process and that blend of the art and science. Um, but I definitely want to move into kind of a coaching uh, management, some type of role like that, um, you know, after I kind of feel like I'm done with the IC role. Yeah, and that'd be hugely beneficial for um, you know, plenty of other reps that will work with you. There's um, perhaps one thing I wanted to ask you for before I let you go, and it's along the the lines of some of the things we've been talking about. You've um, had a fantastic tenure at HubSpot. If you had any advice for a younger rep just starting out in tech sales, they're having a bit of a rough ride where they are, and they're thinking, mm -hmm. should I make a move? What's the What's the checklist, the mental checklist or mental analysis that you would advise on whether they should stick it out? where they are, be it an SDR, you know, that's six months in, mm -hmm. you know, they've got another 12 before they're going to get an A-roll. Um, what's the advice you would give them to do some analysis before deciding I'm going to stick it out here or I need to get out of here? That's a really good question. Um, the first thing I would do is probably take a day off. Let's take a day off, go, you know, get some sun, watch some TV, don't plan to do anything. Don't go away and make a Just take a day off, spend time with your dog, spend time with your partner. Don't think about work. Just clear your head. And then come back. What I'd be thinking is, why did I join in the first place? Did I really want to get into this company, but the only role was sales? Or did I really want to get into sales, but you know, 
this is a company that chose to hire me, whatever it might be, like figure out why you want them to join. And is that reason still valid or has that changed? Because, you know, we're human, we're pretty fickle, things change and that's fine. Just, just own it. Um, if it's not for you, it's not for you, but has that changed or you're just going through a rough period? And maybe you've got a territory patch. Maybe your reps, if you're an SDR, maybe your reps are underperforming. I've had that. And I'm just like, man, just close the deal. I've given them to you. Um, so I'd first identify that. Then I'd say six months, 12 months, you know, two years, five years in the future, will I regret this? Right? Because if you think of your career as a graph, we're, we're only living like where we are, right? Redundant. You get what I mean? Like we're, we're, we are where we are. But if you take a step back, and look at your trajectory, even like from leaving school, it's a linear journey, hopefully. But if you have like one blip where it dips, who cares, right? Because in a year, it could surge back up. Like if you zoom in on all my dips, like they're intense and they're pretty bad in the moment. But if you zoom back out, you're exactly what it, I'm exactly what you just said, eight years successful. It hasn't always been successful. I've just managed to navigate the bad times and then get back to being good. Um, so will you regret this in kind of the short, midterm and long-term? And if you feel like you will, then just stick it out. Right. Um, perfect example is SDRs are like, I don't want to wait to be an AE. I'm going to go, I've been offered this AE role elsewhere. Like ask yourself why they are so keen to hire an SDR straight into an AE role. And then ask yourself why it's harder to become an AE where you are. Probably for good reason. It's probably going to pay off tenfold if you just stick it out where you are. Right. For the higher barrier to entry, it's more competitive. It's a better role. Right. It's, it's going to be worth more. Um, just stop trying to be so short minded. Um, so that's what I would do. However, if the answer is no, I'm not going to regret it. Um, I just hate it. I, I get up in the morning and I just go, oh, I really don't want to do this because I've been there in other roles. Then just, yeah, quit. Who cares? Like, don't just backfill you. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you don't owe them anything. Like, be loyal to people. But organizations are like a faceless thing. Don't be loyal to a brand or a logo. And even if you feel like you are, if you ask yourself what that means to you, first thing you're going to think of is culture and people. Like you are loyal to those people. Um, so recognize that. Um, you're not going to offend anyone. Like you go chase your passion. Go do something else that makes you really happy. Because um, chances are you're going to be miserable if you try and stick it out. That's going to come through in your work. It's going to come through in front of your prospects, in front of your managers. And then they might move you on anyways. Um, so yeah, I would kind of divvy it up. Like which side of the fence are you? Like, are you just in a rough patch and you just need to have a soak, which is fine. I've been there. Like, you know, I'm just, don't talk to me, whatever it might be. I'm just having a rough go for two days, but that's, that's all I get. And then back on the horse. Or is this fundamentally just a massive clash and, you know, don't ever think you wasted time. Like even if you did a year, who cares? Because if you stuck it out, what if you waste 10 doing the wrong thing? Like you're getting out for a year. That's on people would be so grateful to figure out that they made the wrong move a year in as opposed to five or 10. Um, so yeah, I would just like, you know, like no one's going to die, but just resign. It's not a big deal. Go do something else. Go do something where you can contribute more and you're happy to do so because that will come through in your work and you actually progress quicker. Um, so sorry, I went off on a bit of a tangent there, but that's how I'd approach it. Nice, brilliant, great advice. And you're somebody who's lived it, done it, been a high performer, you know, you've done the highs and the lows. So um, I think it's advice that I'll land and it's going to be really, really, um, um, really useful for not just reps coming through on the on the upwards you've just started, but reps who've been in the game for a long time as well. Um, yeah, your experience speaks for itself and your advice is brilliant. So 
really appreciate it um, coming and having a chat with us, Michael. Um, I'm sure you've got plenty of uh, deals to close and stuff to do, so I won't keep you too long. But uh, again, congrats on um, the eight years, your success so far. Congrats on the bodybuilding. And um, yeah, thank you again. No, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully whoever listens to this can take something away from it and um, it can help you know, make, help them make a decision or, or, you know, do something positive in their career. So yeah, I, I love being here. Absolutely. <clears throat> Thanks, Michael. All right. Thanks, mate. Bye-bye.